Letter twenty of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Sir Alexander Duff Gordon, Cairo, November fourteenth, eighteen sixty-three. Here I am at last in my old quarters at Thayer's house, after a tiresome negotiation with the vice consul, who had taken possession and invented the story of women on the ground floor. I was a week in Briggs's damp house and too ill to write. The morning I arrived at Cairo I was seized with hemorrhage, and had two days of it. However, since then I am better. I was very foolish to stay a fortnight in Alexandria. The passage under the railway bridge at Tanta, which is only opened once in two days, was most exciting and pretty. Such a scramble and dash of boats, two or three hundred at least. Old Zidane, the steersman, slid under the noses of the big boats with my little Kanjia, and through the gates before they were well open, and we saw the rush and confusion behind us at our ease, and headed the whole fleet for a few miles. Then we stuck, and Zidane raged, but we got off in an hour, and again overtook and passed all. And then we saw the spectacle of devastation, whole villages gone, submerged and melted, mud to mud, and the people with their animals encamped on spits of sand, or on the dikes, in long rows of ragged, makeshift tents, while we sailed over where they had lived, cotton rotting in all directions, and the dry tops crackling under the bows of the boat. When we stopped to buy milk, the poor woman exclaimed, Milk? From where? Do you want it out of my breasts? However, she took our saucepan and went to get some from another family. No one refuses it if they have a drop left, for they all believe the moran to be a punishment for churlishness to strangers, by whom committed no one can say. Nor would they fix a price, or take more than the old rate. But here everything has doubled in price. Never did a present give such pleasure as Madame de Leo's bracelet. De Leo came quite overflowing with gratitude at my having remembered such a trifle as his attending me and coming three times a day. He thinks me looking better, and advises me to stay on here till I feel it cold. Mr. Thayer's underling has been doing Levantine rogueries, selling the American protégé's claims to the Egyptian government, and I witnessed a curious phase of Eastern life. Omar, when he found him in my house, went and ordered him out. I was ill in bed, and knew nothing till it was done, and when I asked Omar how he came to do it, he told me to be civil to him if I saw him, as it was not for me to know what he was. That was his, Omar's, business. At the same time Mr. Thayer's servant sent him a telegram so insolent that it amounted to a kicking. Such is the nemesis for being a rogue here. The servants know you, and let you feel it. I was quite flabbergasted at Omar, who was so reverential to me and to the Rosses, and who I fancied trembled before every European, taking such a tone to a man in the position of a gentleman. It is a fresh proof of the feeling of actual equality among men that lies at the bottom of such great inequality of position. Hekekian Bey has seen a Turkish Pasha's shins kicked by his own servants, who were cognizant of his misdeeds. Finally, on Thursday, we got the keys of the house, and Omar came with two farashas and shoveled out the Levantine dirt, and scoured and scrubbed, and on Friday afternoon, yesterday, we came in. Zeynab has been very good ever since she has been with us. She will soon be a complete Drago woman, for she is learning Arabic from Omar and English from us fast. In Janet's house she only heard a sort of lingua franca of Greek, Italian, Nubian, and English. She asked me how Piccolo bent, how's the little girl, 
a fine specimen of Alexandrian. Ross is here and will dine with me tonight before starting by an express train which Ismail Pasha gives him. On Thursday evening I rode to the Abbasaya and met all the schoolboys going home for their Friday. Such a pretty sight! The little Turks on grand horses with velvet trappings and two or three saïs running before them, and the Arab boys fetched, some by proud fathers on handsome donkeys, some by trusty servants on foot, some by poor mothers astride on shabby donkeys and taking up their darlings before them, some two and three on one donkey, and crowds on foot. Such a number of lovely faces, all dressed in white European cut clothes and red tarbouches. Last night we had a wedding opposite. A pretty boy, about Maurice's size, or rather less, with a friend of his own size, dressed like him in a scarlet robe and turban on each side, and surrounded by men carrying tapers and singing songs, and preceded by cressets flaring. He stepped along like Agag, very slowly and mincingly, and looked very shy and pretty. My poor Hassan, donkey-driver, is ill, I fear very ill. His father came with the donkey for me, and kept drawing his sleeve over his eyes, and sighing so heavily, Ya Hassan Meskin, Ya Hassan Ibn! Oh, poor Hassan, oh Hassan, my soul! And then, in a resigned tone, Allah Karim, God is merciful. I will go and see him this morning, and have a doctor to him by force, as Omar says, if he is very bad. There is something heart-rending in the patient, helpless suffering of these people. Sunday Abu Hassan reported his son so much better that I did not go after him, having several things to do, and Omar being deep in cooking a festin de Balthazar, because Ross was to dine with me. The weather is delicious, much what we had at Bournemouth in summer, but there is a great deal of sickness, and I fear there will be more, from people burying dead cattle on their premises inside the towns. It costs one hundred gers to bury one outside the town. All labor is rendered scarce, too, as well as food dear, and the streets are not cleaned and water hard to get. My saka comes very irregularly, and makes quite a favor of supplying us with water. All this must tell heavily on the poor. Hekekian's wife had seventy head of cattle on her farm, one wretched bullock is left, and, of seven to water the house in Cairo, also one left, and that expected to die. I wonder what ill-conditioned fellow of a Moses is at the bottom of it. Haji Ali has just been here, and offers me his tents, if I like to go up to Thebes and not live in a boat, so that I may not be dependent on getting a house there. He is engaged by Lady Herbert of Lee, so will not go up to Syria this year, and has all his tents to spare. I fancy I might be very comfortable among the tombs of the kings, or in the valley of Asiyaf with good tents. It is never cold at all among the hills at Thebes, au contraire. On the sunny side of the valley you are broiled and stunned with heat in January, and in the shade it is heavenly. How I do wish you could come too, how you would enjoy it! I shall rather like the change from a boat life to a Bedouin one, with my own sheep and chickens and horse about the tent, and a small following of ragged retainers. Moreover, it will be considerably cheaper, I think. End of letter 20 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.